Hey, welcome to the Eternal Leadership Podcast. This is John Ramstead, and uh, we have a great guest on today, Philip Van Hooser. I was at the National Speaker Association, and we're sitting there, and we're getting to know some people, and I heard Philip uh, just talking about um, all these things that he wished he had known when he was getting started. He's been an incredible leader. Um, uh, he's been a leader in a Fortune 500 companies. Uh, he's worked with teams all over the country. He now speaks and trains and teaches him in a consultant since 1988. Uh, lives in Princeton, Kentucky. Um, and you guys, well, I mean, he's just such an amazing, not only gentleman, but wise person. So you're about to hear an interview about uh, everything that Philip shares uh, as he works with leaders, but all those things he wished he had known as he was getting into leadership in more and more challenging situations. Enjoy. We'd love to hear a comment from you on the Facebook page. And uh, please, if you like this, share it with uh, somebody that you know. Just just forward it to them. We would always, we man, we would so appreciate that. Love you guys. Talk to you soon. We have Phil Van Hooser on the line. And hey, I got to tell everybody, this is really cool because, you know, one of the reasons we started our company is to really do the things in life that are truly important. And the great thing is, Sandra, you are, where are you broadcasting live from today? I am broadcasting live today from just outside Dallas, Fort Worth at the 9U World Series baseball tournament. Watching my baby pitch. Yeah, so when, when Sandra comes off mute and you hear lots of cheering and bats hitting balls in the background, you know what's going on. And Phil Van Hooser, we have you on today. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. It's exciting to be here, and it's exciting to see how the game is unfolding there in Texas today. <laughs> well, you have to give us some updates. So everybody out there listening, I met Phil. Um, you know, You know, sometimes you meet somebody, you're like, wow, this is somebody I just want to be friends with and hang out with and like... You know, Phil, one of my friends says, uh, he calls it the canoe test. Is this the guy that you'd be willing to, like, spend a day, like, um, in a canoe, you know, exploring some part of the world? I'm like, yeah, Phil is that guy. And and Phil, as we got talking, right, your background, what you're doing at church and in what you've done in business and leadership, but you're, you're a speaker, trainer, author, but you have just this huge passion also to just develop this next generation of emerging leaders. And that's what we're going to talk about today is, you know, how do we lead ourselves? And then how do we really lead, equip and launch others? Because you know what, that's what makes extraordinary organizations and organizations. How I define it is two or more people in a relationship, right? That could be a family, a ministry, a church, a work team, or an entire company. It could be a government entity. It it doesn't matter. I mean, uh, there's some sizes there. So before we get started and dive into just some some great things that going to people are really going to find helpful. Uh, Phil, I'd love for you to just share a little bit about you know your background, your journey that kind of led you to what you're doing today. I'm more than happy to. And again, thank you for the opportunity. I, my my journey is unique, but on the other hand, not terribly special. Everybody has their own approach. I uh, grew up on a farm in western Kentucky. Went off to college, uh, got a degree in business. Didn't really know what I was going to do. I got offered an opportunity to go to work in corporate America, specifically manufacturing, and found that I was able to take my personality and um, the the skills that the Lord had given me in terms of communication and connecting with people. And for the next 10 years or so, I worked in HR, human resource management, and various organizations, increasing responsibilities and the like. But all the while, I wanted to be a speaker and a trainer. 
Um, that's just been a desire. I, I could talk more about that later if that's important, but uh, I've always wanted to have my own business. I've always wanted to have a business that was based in communication skills and, and sharing with things I was learning, things that I knew with other audiences and other individuals. And so way back 30 years ago, 1988, I um, just decided it was time to take the leap of faith. And so uh, I uh, declared myself a professional speaker long before I actually could prove that I was. But (laughs) I I went to work at that and started uh, trying to sell to uh, audiences and primarily corporate audiences what I had learned in the 10 years as an HR manager about how managers and supervisors could be more effective in their leadership with the people that they supervised, managed, influenced, etc. And I started selling that in training programs, and the training program led to speaking opportunities, and one thing led to another. And now, uh, 30 years later, I've done just over 4,500 presentations for just over 900 different client organizations. And, uh, I feel blessed and honored that I've had that op- those opportunities, but more importantly, that I've hopefully given my audiences something that they could cling to and use and benefit from. And that's why, to go back to your introduction, that's why this whole concept of leadership and personal development on multiple levels is so is so um, uh, energizing for me still these many years later. Now, Phil, along along the way, uh, before we kind of get into leadership, I know you had some pretty significant, you know, adversities and challenges. Probably both, you know, uh, leaving the corporate world to pursue your own thing, but also some things, you know, some chronic illnesses. I'd love to, for you to share about it. You know, how you, you know, personally, you know, got through some of the things that you've had to walk through. Well. Again, John, I don't know of anybody who's lived for an extended period of time that hasn't had some challenges to face. We all do, and and um, we all will, I think, as we go forward. For me personally, uh, starting the business was a big challenge. Uh, you, you're right. Uh, I sometimes People sometimes say, you must have been very brave to leave corporate America and start on your own. I said, I always say it was the confidence born of ignorance. (laughs) I was so ignorant as to what I was about to get into that I was confident that I could not fail, you know. And once you get into it, uh, realizing that, wait a minute, you're working without a net, you start working harder and start planning more and you start studying and you start networking and connecting and Somehow the Lord always leads you to those people that you need to learn from or that you need to be able to help and serve themselves. And so that, those things work themselves out over time as the business grew. But then you alluded to the chronic illness. Um, that was a difficult time. It was, it was significant as well as, uh, uh, well, it taught me a lot through the process. I as a 43-year-old man, already in the business about 12 years at that point, um, I developed a chronic illness called ulcerative colitis. And I won't bore you with all the details, but it is the, is the first cousin to Crohn's disease and an, in, an intestinal problem, of course. And over an 18-month period of time, it just accelerated, became a, a, a major life issue for me. Uh, Lost 52 pounds. Had to just had significant, significant problems before I eventually had to go to the uh, Cleveland Clinic in Cleveland, Ohio, and have my colon completely removed and some of the 
internal plumbing re reorganized a little bit. But through all that, number one, uh, my faith remains strong. And it remains strong not because I am an exceptionally strong person myself, but because everybody around me was strong. My uh, family, certainly, my friends, my church family. I uh, have taught a Sunday school class, an adult Bible study class, for many, many years. And the, my, my, the folks that I worshiped with and studied with in that class just rallied behind us. My clients, amazingly enough, rallied behind me and stood there and said, you know, we're here for you when you get better. We're, we're, no, we're not going anyplace. We have faith and confidence in you. We're praying for you. So, you know, in the midst of storms, we realize a lot about ourselves, but we, I think, more realize about, a lot about the, the people that we uh, affiliate with, work with, live with, etc. And it was just reaffirmation of my faith and my confidence. And uh, now, Many years later, in fact, uh, about 18 years after the fact, I am a poster child for, number one, uh, good health. Um, I've been able to overcome that, that initial problem. But more importantly than that, my faith has been strengthened, and I continue to um, look forward to the future. And, and those chronic situations that were a major part of my past are now out of the way, and I'm focused more on present things and the future things. Now you know during you know during that period of time, um, Phil, uh, you know because Sandra and I have both been through uh, just a lot of adversity. Um, you know, you know, just before we we get into leadership, what do you think are some of the key maybe elements that helped you kind of put all that in context as, as you moved forward? Because like you said, everybody is dealing with with stuff as we go through this world. Well, number one, uh, we are all. Uh, people of faith here, and so I have no hesitancy to say that my faith uh, sustained me during that period of time. Those people who don't have, share those same that same faith background, oftentimes I wonder how do they get through difficult times. I know I couldn't have done it, or I can't imagine have done it, uh, being able to do it without my faith. Uh, you know, there's a, one of my favorite scriptures, and has been for a long, long time, is uh, comes from the book of Joshua. First Joshua, uh, verse chapter one, verse nine, it says, you know, be strong and courageous, and it and it talks about it, you know directly to Joshua taking on the role of of uh, stepping in Moses as Moses' successor and leading the children of Israel into the promised land. It said, be strong and courageous, not shouldn't be afraid or dismayed for the Lord your God is with you always and that's a, that's sort of I clung to that I you know that was that was important to me and and then the other thing is being able to be honest and vulnerable with other people of faith who you can tell them what you're going through and have them join in as a as a prayer partner or as a support as an encourager whatever it may be I had all of those things going for me and and in since that period of time, I've tried to do those same things for others who are going through it as well, uh, through their own challenges as well. So I guess that's what I've learned in a in a in a simplistic way. Well, you know what you just described, what I call the V word, right? Vulnerability. And I have discovered that whether it's sales or leadership or overcoming adversity, um, having the courage to be vulnerable is half the battle. You know, just like you said, being able to say, you know what, I'm struggling. 
can you guys please pray for me? Come alongside me. I, I need support and encouragement. And, you know, in leadership, it's the same thing. You know, how can you lead someone if you're wearing a mask all the time, pretending to be something you're not? Um, yeah. You know, I, I completely agree with you, Sandra. And, and the vulnerability leads to authenticity. You've got to be yes. authentic, honest, et cetera. And, and uh, you know, vulnerable doesn't mean you're always weak. It just means that you're being honest and authentic about who you are. And more often than not, that makes other people be more authentic as well because they're looking for an example. And, of course, that, that brings us back to leadership. Leadership Leaders lead by example, and, and that's the most basic, honest way I think that we could. Yeah, I mean, you have to be courageous enough to be vulnerable. That's sort of how I put it, you know, when I'm, when I'm coaching folks and when you can be that, John John and I joke that, you know, we're, uh, we're raw and (laughs) we're raw and all the way authentic. And that's what this podcast has been all about. And, you know, that's what tends to make people listen because we're not walking around going, Oh gosh, we're all this and leadership and we're coaching and we're doing that. We're just being like, Hey man, we have overcome adversity and corporate America and the military and ups and downs and relationships and finances. And, and here's what we've learned. And, and that vulnerability is really what's carried us through the success of this podcast. Well, and I applaud you for setting the stage and letting other people learn with and through this process as well. Yeah. Thank you, Phil. And, you know, and and everybody out there listening, Phil wrote a fantastic book. Um, Leaders ought to know it's 11 ground rules for just common sense, Leadership in the in the first part of that book, um, Phil, you talk about the fact that you know leadership is a choice, and we have to choose to lead. You know, and I get to work with a lot of wonderful folks that are millennials, and they they don't feel like leaders, or they've been equipped to lead, or they don't really understand what leadership is. It's almost like this: uh, either you have it or you don't. And i I don't believe I don't believe that that's actually the case. And I love your your thoughts on that. Well, there's a whole lot to, to to think about and to consider. Let me just sort of nail it or, or narrow it down this way. First of all, I believe anyone can lead, and in fact, I believe almost everyone does lead. They don't always lead well, but everybody <laughs> does lead because I believe that if you have the ability to influence and impact even one other individual, then frankly, you're in a leadership position. And most of us, if not every one of us, has the ability to lead family members, friends, neighbors, business associates, employees, whatever it may be. Now, the question then is, if we're in a position to uh, influence and impact even one other person, are we doing it well and are we well prepared for that task or not? Um, You know, I'm I'm big on what I call or what I refer to as intentional leadership as opposed to accidental or incidental leadership. In other words, I believe that the most effective leaders are the ones that wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to lead today, or at least I'm going to do my best to lead today by preparing myself first and then by being prepared for opportunities or circumstances that may present themselves. If we lead accidentally, meaning we stumble into a situation where we can influence or impact someone else, but we haven't planned for it or prepared for it or or desired it, more often than not, we're not going to do it very well. And if we do it very well at all, it's going to be accidentally. In other words, we're going to luck out. I don't trust luck. 
quite frankly. Uh, luck, luck can turn on you pretty quickly. <laughs> the second kind I said is incidental leadership. And what, the way I define incidental leadership is based on an incident. In other words, what have I done in the past in trying to replicate the incident that may have happened a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, 10 years ago? And number one, our memories aren't that good. We can't we can't just re- re- reconstruct a leadership situation and then try to do all the things that we did well before. And quite frankly, every ins- every leadership opportunity is different, unique in and, of, in and of itself. So I go back to intentional leadership. I want to do the things day in, day out that would make me effective as a leader. And then when the opportunity to lead, the opportunity to influence and impact someone occurs, then I don't have to worry about what I've done in the past, or I don't have to worry about this being accidental. I just step into the intentional role and move forward. And I think I think those opportunities exist for all of us. Yeah, it reminds me of that quote, and I don't know who said it, but I, and I love it, is luck is where preparedness and opportunity meet. And I want to prepare myself so well when that opportunity right. comes and, and I seize it that everybody around goes, wow, he's lucky. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly, so, <laughs> and, and and have no idea of the time and the time and effort that it went into preparing themselves for that opportunity. That luck might look so comfortable there. Yeah, so let's talk about that, Phil. I'd love your your thoughts on what does it look like to really prepare ourselves to be intentional about becoming better leaders. So when that opportunity does come along, whatever it happens to be. You know, we're the, we're the first person that people who are making decisions think about. Well, I think that uh, you start with the very basics by defining who you are, what you're trying to accomplish, etc. I created a leadership definition many years ago that I feel very comfortable with and that I share with other people regularly. I tell people that leadership is not position. That again, anyone can lead. It's not determined by a, a, a position title or a position that is occupied, but rather it is defined by two processes. Number one, the ability to offer service. I'll come back to that in just a second. The ability to offer service and the willingness to take action, to do something. If a leader wants to make a difference, then they need to serve something that's bigger than themselves. It can be a a cause, it can be an individual, it can be a community, it can be a church, it can be a movement, it can be whatever. But if they are giving of themselves, serving something else, then all of a sudden it takes away that um, selfishness uh, uh, motive or motivation. And then the second thing is, it's not just a matter of service, it's also a matter of doing something. There's a lot of people who are willing to serve but are not willing to act. There's other people that are acting, but they're acting on their behalf without willing to serve other people. Both of those can get in the way, but when you when you offer an opportunity to serve by way of taking action, doing something, then you're setting an example that others can follow as well. Now, the other uh, elementary part of service and action is who are you serving and what action you're taking. And I always say, simply say, the essential element of leadership is, always has been, always will be, followers. If your focus is more on other people than yourself, then you're in a position to lead effectively for, an, for, a, long-term, uh, for a long-term purpose. And 
I, I just try to stay focused as best I can on others, what their needs are, how can I service those needs, and how can I act today in a way that would show them that I'm willing to work with them and stay with them for an extended period of time. Well, you know, you yeah, know. I mean, I've often thought that the term servant leadership was redundant, that leadership is about serving others. So saying servant leadership is really just a redundant term. I completely agree. Now, not, others may see leadership or define leadership differently, but I agree with you. I think it's always been, service has always been a fundamental, foundational part of what a true leader does. And if someone wants to lead for their entire life, if they serve other people, there will always be an opportunity to do so. You know, and, and Phil, you talked about, you know, followers, and I think sometimes the first step to being a great leader is a great follower, especially sometimes when we're in that situation where um, that supervisor, that boss, that person we're working for uh, is not the easiest person to work, to, to work with or work for. Um, how do we become a great follower? Well, that's a great uh, question. Um, Several years ago, I stumbled into uh, a restaurant in Ocala, Florida, and Ocala, Florida just happened to be the place where I started my business. I was living there at the time, but I had been gone for about at least eight or nine years. I went. Uh, I was traveling through working in central Florida and stopped to see an old friend. We went out to dinner. As we were having dinner together, a guy walks up and taps me on the shoulder. I look up. I don't recognize him. He said, he called me by my name. He said, Philip Van Hooser, am I right? And I went, uh, yeah. I said, but you got me at a disadvantage. I'm sorry. I don't know who you are. He identified himself, and he said, I was in your very first professional leadership uh, speech that you ever gave. How and I cool. looked at him. Now, this has been 20-some-odd years before uh, or since. And I looked at him and I go, I'm sorry, I don't remember you. He said, you did a program, and he called the name of his company. He said, you started doing some leadership training. It started, he told me where the meetings were held, and I realized, holy cow, he's right. He was in the very first training program, professional training program that I ever led. And I said, pull up a chair, sit down. And he pulled up a chair. I said, catch me up. And he was still with that company. It was now, as I said, 25 years or so after the fact. And he was, in fact, in a top leadership pro, uh, top leadership position with the company. And I said to him, and I said, so give me a quick rundown. How did you get from that early first-line supervisor to where you are today? He laughed and said, well, I wish I could say it was because of that leadership training program that you led. <laughs> and I said, well, I wish you could. I wish you could say that, too. He laughed. He said, I remember a lot from that program. He said, but i got to tell you that the very first thing and the most important thing I ever learned about being a most um, an effective leader, I actually learned from my mother. Now, when he said I learned from my mother, somehow my antenna went up. And he said, she taught me four things that I have practiced religiously in my professional career, and they have never failed me. Well, when he said mother, my antenna went up. When he said she taught me four things, I actually pulled out a pen. I said, tell me what they are. And these were the four things that he said, and I think it answers your question about how we are, how we can be a more effective follower to those who are leading us. He said, my mother used to say, son, 
if you want to be successful in life, you need to do these four things. Number one, you need to do what you're told, when you're told to do it, do it the way you're told to do it, and then number four, always make your boss look good. Now, think about that for a second. Do what you're told to do, when you're told to do it, the way you're told to do it, but then number four is the hardest one, and always make your boss look good. You mentioned a situation where maybe we have to work with people that are challenging. The reality of it is we're surrounded by challenging people and will be for the rest of our lives. We may not have to work for all of them, but we're going to be around all of them. If we are the person that always tries to run from that disagreeable circumstance or situation, we're never going to learn how to work through it and learn how to interact with people. We are supposed to be salt and light in this world, but not of the world. At least that's what we as Christians believe. And so we've got to learn to be able to interact with people that are not always pleasant or not always supportive or not even always, you know, well, not always uh, good to be around. But we must be because of our responsibilities. One of the things that I've learned is that as a leader, I can't always pick who I am leading. But on the other hand, I can always pick how I will interact with them. The same is true when I'm a follower. I may not always pick who has been assigned to lead me, but I must pick and choose how I'm going to function with them. The guy that I had that dinner with that night, or at least a brief meeting with that dinner, taught me a lot, and I give credit to his mother, because not only did it benefit (laughs) him, but it's benefited me as well. Well, that that is such a great insight. Now, you know, and I know that you put down, uh, you know, one of the books that you would recommend besides yours or the Bible is Crucial Conversations. And I think that, you know, it's really been lost uh, in this current dynamic that we're seeing play out, especially in, in our country here, um, about dealing with conflict, about working with or having conversations with other people that have, you know, different values, different beliefs from uh, ourselves. And I think, you know, that is a huge element of being a successful leader, like you said, right? It's having a positive influence and impact on those around us and also putting that into action. What, uh, what, are, your, what are your thoughts on that area, Phil? You know, it's interesting, John, that you, you mentioned the, the book. And yes, I am a fan of Crucial Conversations only because of how valuable it was to me personally years and years ago when I first read it. Sometimes I'll have a client that will say to me, uh, or maybe a prospective client will say to me, uh, Phil, we don't have the time or the money or the resources or whatever to bring you in to do a full-blown leadership program. Um, But I'm curious, what could we do in the short term? What could we do immediately that would uh, have a positive or beneficial impact on our organization from a leadership standpoint? Whenever I get asked a question like that, I always answer in exactly the same way. I say, whatever you do, do something to improve the communication within your organization. Mm, If you improve communication, you will improve the organization by virtue of the working relationships in the organization, or for that matter, the customers we serve in the organization. Because communication is where everything starts. You know... My wife and I just celebrated our 33rd wedding anniversary, um, and I'm so thankful for that. I got a good one, and 
we've worked hard to stay stay committed to one another and the rest. But I think about so many of our friends and so many people who just don't make a marriage work for whatever reason. And the reason, according to what I understand, is that basically two two challenges in marriages that cause them to fail. Number one, financial issues, you know. Uh, but honestly, I've never met anybody that didn't have a financial issue, a challenge somewhere along the way. Those are fairly easy to work through. Not always easy, but you can work through them if you want. But then the second part of problems that create uh, marriages uh, or cause marriages to disintegrate are what they call irreconcilable differences. And that's best I can figure is when people stop talking to one another. The more we talk and the more we communicate and are more interested in the other person's perspective than we are our own, and this goes back to my definition of leadership again, offering service and taking action on their behalf, if we can communicate with that an open mind and have those crucial conversations and go back to what Sandra said a while ago, being vulnerable and authentic in our communication, it's hard to imagine that anything uh, negative would be the end result. We're going to be pretty positive and beneficial when it all comes out the other end. Well, it's interesting because we talked earlier, John and I did, about this feature feeling of abundance, that if we wake up every morning and we look at the world that we have so much to give away, you know, we can give away inner, you know, our energy, we can give away compliments, we can give away, you know, details about ourselves, you know, be vulnerable, be complimentary of other people, you know, that that really is, you know, that's what the Bible is all about, right? Make it all about other people. But so few people today are leading that way. So many people wake up and think, well, gosh, if I, if I teach everybody that reports to me how to do what I do, then I'm putting myself out of a job. I'm an old um, HR manager. Or, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you, Sandra, but you just got, reminded me of something very important. I'm an old HR manager. That's what I did years and years ago before I started this business. And I will stress that as a baby boomer, I was a I was an HR manager in the early 1980s during that very difficult recessionary period. I want to tell you that I have never I've sat through. Unfortunately, I've had to sit through many uh, meetings where we talked as an organization, as executives within the organization, about who must we lay off next. Not because that they were doing a bad job, but because of the economic circumstance we found ourselves in. During those periods, I never remember a time, not one time do I ever remember someone who got laid off who was good at developing other people. We laid off people who had 25 years' experience. We laid off people who had, who had patents and laid off people who had done marvelous things. But I don't ever remember laying off a manager who was good at developing people because the concept was always this. When the economy rebounds, we're going to need to rebuild our organization, and not everybody has those skills and abilities. And so I remember very early on in my professional career saying, I want to be one of those people who develop other people who do not try to hide what I know from folks for fear that it will lessen my ability. Instead, I want to share more of what I know, thereby encouraging and supporting more people and 
go back to your concept of abundance, it is abundantly clear to me that there's more than enough for all of us if we're willing to help other people do and, and become what they can, in fact, do and become. Absolutely. It's that whole idea of multiplication, right? If I can multiply within the organization, you know, my own skill set and ability and leadership and, you know, the technical expertise I have, as I'm multiplying that expertise across the organization, you know, not only am I making the organization better, but I'm making myself better. Because at at least for me, when I teach other people, I become way better at that topic, right? And so, you know, this whole idea of abundance and giving it away, um, you know, that's how John and I try to live our life, whether it's the person at the drive-thru at the Starbucks that needs a positive word or, you know, it's it's someone we're coaching or someone in the audience we're speaking to. But it, I just feel like it's a lost art today, you know, that so many people are holding on so tight and they're holding on so tight to the biscuit that it's crumbling, Well, and because it's a lost art, and unfortunately I would have to agree with that, but because it's a lost art, those people who are in fact doing it become artisans, and people are drawn to you. So don't quit on it, for heaven's sake. So we've got to keep the nucleus out there because there are people who still value and benefit from it and others that can learn from us through the process. Well, and Phil, what you said, man, that's such a huge value bomb. I just want to hit pause for a second and hope people really heard that is – uh, and I, it's been my identical experience when, when you're looking at downsizing or even like, who am I going to promote in that next area? I'm looking for those people that have that skill to develop others. And so to kind of talk about how we do that, right? You know, people need, they need the knowledge to do their job, both technically and relationally. Uh, you know, that's where mentorship comes in. They need the experience with that job. They need the tools in their work environment to be able to succeed. And when we do a good job of teaching, training, and equipping, then we can actually start delegating. A lot of people don't know how to delegate well. And that's when we can actually now really start to empower people because it's always been my Uh, What I've always tried to do uh, is push that decision-making down to that lowest level where both the information, um, the technical skill, and the the trust, the communication reside. Um, And when I do that as a leader, that allows me to work in my strengths versus being pulled in so many different directions. And I think what you're sharing right there is the core of how we create a leadership legacy and really as our generation, uh, you know, equip, empower, and launch, you know, those other leaders coming up behind us. Uh, Again, I, I couldn't say it any better, and I completely agree with each step in the process that you just described. And and the in the end, the more we focus on the way the various ways that we can develop other people, we create our own mastery. This goes back to what Sandra said a moment ago, that the more we share, the more we try to teach others, the more we learn ourselves. And then, as a master, several years ago, someone, I don't even remember who it is, unfortunately, but someone gave me a definition or a, a quote about mastery that I have always been well, it, it stuck with me. They said the skill mastery is being able to perform a skill under increasing levels of stress. There's a lot of people that can do things and do them very well when there is no pressure. But for a leader, 
we become a master of something, whatever it may be, when we learn it so well and are so confident and so experienced that as the stressors around us, the stress of time, energy, resources, money, pressures from people, whatever it may be, as they increase, we don't decrease in our skill level. We, in fact, increase. So we can perform even with increasing levels of stress. Sandra Sons playing in a World Series. It's one thing when you're playing in a pickup game in the backyard. There's not very much stress right there. But all of a sudden, when now the stakes are pretty high, every batter, every at-bat, every play in the field takes on a higher level of importance. And even at the nine years and under World Series, you're still seeing masters, at least at their level, that are performing out there because they're able to handle the stress that's going on. I think it's I think that should be something we all strive for. Mm-hmm. So, Phil, how, how do people, you know, the, the teaching, the training, the, the speaking that you do, uh, your book, um, you know, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you, connect with you, what you're doing? Oh, well, thank you very much. I, I love talking with people who have an interest in uh, leadership and personal leadership development. And, of course, if I can ever help in that regard, I'd love to talk to anyone. Two best ways, I suppose, is just uh, to go to our website, which is www.vanhooser, my last name, V-A-N-H-O-O-S-E-R.com. Uh, they can email me, of course, phil at vanhooser.com, P-H-I-L at vanhooser.com. Or if somebody wanted to talk to me directly, I'd love to have a conversation. They can feel free to call our office number here in Kentucky, 270-365-1536. Again, 270-365-1536. But whether they contact me or not, I hope something that we've said and that we've been able to talk about today resonated with folks, and maybe they have decided that maybe there's more service that they can offer and more actions that they can take take that will enhance their own personal leadership. And if so, then we've spent an important 30-plus minutes here together. Well, Phil, I know one of your lines is uh, do good or self-destruct. So I think we could wrap up on that line, right? That unless <laughs> we're out there doing good and you know pouring into other people and you know, giving it away and, and having that abundance mentality that we're just going to hold on so tight that we're going to self-destruct. And, you know, we're just thrilled to have you. You're, I just love your laid back attitude. And, um, you know, I, I've gone on all your information, all your stuff. You've got such a great digital footprint and you have so much amazing content. So I encourage everyone go to those websites. Phil just told you about Check them out on social media. Um, reach out to them. You will absolutely be blessed by it. And um, Phil, it's so great to talk to someone who, you know, believes what we believe and who is out there, you know, telling everyone, hey, get out there and, and be yourself, be authentic, uh, be vulnerable have the courage to be vulnerable and you know wake up every day and pour into other people and that that's not just what life's about but that's also what leadership is about so thank you for being here well again it's been a real pleasure and i appreciate the work that the two of you are doing to share uh sort of accumulated information with the masses i'm i'm honored to have been a part of this All right, Phil. Well, thank you. And we will uh, definitely be in touch to get you back on the podcast. 
Well, I look forward to a second conversation anytime. All right. Take care.